Good morning. As we've been working our way through this, this series, um, that one, Discipling the Next Generation, uh, which has been about parenting and discipleship, as we've been working our way through this, I have been um, kind of been nostalgic and thinking about when I was a younger father and my kids were at home. And um, I, I found myself missing my kids, missing when they were little. And uh, we don't have any grandchildren yet, so I uh, can't go back to those days. And one of the things that I was thinking about this week that I, I miss maybe the most is the great questions my kids would ask when they were little. I, I know this happened in your house too. Kids ask the greatest questions. And uh, I miss that, you know, the, when they're little, two, three, four, and then when they're even, you know, 11, 12, and, and even when they're teenagers, some of the questions they would ask, they'd be like, oh, man. <laughs> and so I tried to come to remember, and I could not remember one. I can remember scenarios thinking, oh, what, what an awesome question, but I didn't write it down. So um, I went on the line on internet and tried to find some other questions that kids ask, and none of them are as funny or as brilliant as my kids. But, you know, kids are kids. So, you know, here's, some of these are silly. You're like, you know, why don't crabs have eyebrows? See, I would be asking why do crabs go walk sideways? But, I mean, what an interesting perspective. I don't know the answer to this, by the way. Or how about this one? Why can't I catch my shadow? A lot of people have been asking this. Why does the sun move so slow? Now, if, if you're 12, I can answer that question. But if you're three or four, you know, the heliocentric universe, I'm not sure I can really explain that to you. Um, then there's this question that we all get asked. Why did my baby sister, how did my baby sister get in your tummy, mom? Uh, well, let's wait a couple of years before we explain that one. Then there's the, the penetrating questions like this one. If you don't want us to say that word, then why do you keep saying it? That's happened in your home, I'm sure. So um, today we're going to look at some very penetrating questions asked by Jesus, the kid. It's kind of interesting because, you know, in every gospel you have the first words of Jesus, but in Matthew, Mark, and John, he's an adult. In Luke, which we're walking through, we see the first words of Jesus in the, in the gospel, and they're when he was a kid. So turn to Luke chapter 2 and um, find verse 48, and we'll, we'll look at these questions Actually, it's, the, you know, it's not only the first you know, words of Jesus in Luke, but as I said, it's a question that he asks, and um, it is such a penetrating question. So when you find Luke 2.48, stand to your feet, and I'm going to have to drink some water here. We just do this to honor God's word. Luke 2.48. Um, and uh, let me just kind of catch us up. If you happen to be new here, we're, we're at the end of a story where Jesus and his parents had been in Jerusalem, uh, a four-day walk from Nazareth, which up in the north, which is where they live. So walked four days to Jerusalem. They're at this big fat, uh, Passover festival, and Jesus wanders away at the end of the festival. So when mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, head back to Nazareth, they assume Jesus must be with Joseph, and Joseph assumes Jesus must be with Mary. They get a day out, a whole day, and they realize Jesus isn't with us. 
And so they are looking everywhere, can't find him. They're freaking out. We talked about this last week. They, they walk back to Jerusalem. They're searching. Three days later, they find him. They've been missing him for three days. And there, there he is sitting in the temple courts, listening to rabbis and teachers. And then we pick up the story, bam, right there. When his parents um, <clears throat> saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? It's also Mary's question. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus asked the question, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And the answer is no. They didn't know, verse 50. They did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, you may be seated. So this question that Mary asks, it's not hard for us to identify, right? Especially if you're a parent. Not hard at all for you to imagine. Three days they've been looking for him, and they're freaking out. They're, they're, they're afraid. They're anxious. It's not hard for anybody to imagine them feeling that way. But Jesus' response, why were you searching for me? Can I, can I say, duh, because you were gone. I mean, the question, can we be honest here? The question almost sounds a little disrespectful, don't you think? Come on, can you, can, you, can you allow yourself to say that Jesus sounds like he's being, I'm not saying he is disrespectful, but it kind of sounds that way. We're freaking out, can't find you. You've been gone three days. We wondered if you were dead. And you say, why were you looking for me? Because <laughs> you're missing, duh, Jesus. And then the, the follow-up question where he says, you know, you know I had to be in my father's house. It, it almost sounds like he's being disrespectful. It also looks like he's being disobedient. I mean, since when does a kid get to walk away from mom and dad and be gone for three days? That's disobedience. Can you, can you say that? You, no, you can't, can you? Because it's Jesus. He's perfect. He doesn't disobey. Well, maybe he's just being irresponsible. And maybe his questions are evasive and at least insensitive, but these are not happy words to describe Jesus. And yet, when Mary asks them, or when Mary asks the question, she's kind of wondering, where have you been? And so this question that she asks, why have you treated us like this? I think, you know, I'm not, I don't think that Jesus was being disobedient. I don't think he was being disrespectful. I don't think he was being insensitive or evasive or irresponsible. But it does create some tension in the text as to what is actually happening. So we, we answer it by getting more deeply into this question that Mary asks. And what I'm going to do today is look at the, this question that Mary asked and then the two questions that Jesus asked, three questions. And I'm going to use these questions to, because I think they point to three of the most essential questions that each of us need to ask ourselves. Whether you're a parent or whether you're a discipler, or whether you're just a regular person. These questions are so powerful, and they point to three essential questions every person must ask themselves. So let's start with this question that Mary asks. Son, why have you treated us like this? The first thing that I notice is how she's making it personal. Why have you treated I mean, I thought the issue was, 
where have you been, right? We, you've been missing. I thought the point was we haven't been able to find you, but Mary makes it personal. Why have you treated us like this? And the Greek literally says, why did you do this to us? And it, I, mean, I don't want to trash Mary, but it, it seems like she's taking the issue, where have you been, and turned it into personal. You did this to us, Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Someone say yes, because I can talk longer and explain it more. But it's just, you know, to me, it's just like, huh. I think it's totally legitimate for you to say, where have you been? But when you made it personal, she's accusing Jesus, you did this to us. And, you know, what did, she, what did Jesus do? He made her feel anxious, made Joseph. She says, your father and I have been anxiously, and that word anxiously means to be anguished. It means to be tormented. It means to be frantic. What she's saying is, you made us feel anxious and frantic. Why did you do that to us, Jesus? We've moved way away from where have you been? And it's all now, why did you do this to me? Now, I'm reminded by the great quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. No one can make you feel really anything inferior, like you're trash, like you're, something's wrong with you. No one can make you feel anything without your consent. This is important for each one of us to understand. Sometimes we say things like, my kids are driving me crazy. No, they're not. They're just bringing the crazy out that's already there. Your kids can't make you feel or do anything. But when they act crazy, we get, ah, you know, why, you know, I said a couple of weeks ago, I would sometimes yell at my kids, why are you guys doing this? You know, you're driving me crazy. I think every parent said that. And so when Mary is accusing Jesus of, you made us feel this way, and, and why? That's the question. She's not just making the accusation. It's veiled in a question. Why did you make us feel this way? Why did you do this to us? She's revealing something that's, oh, boy, this is so powerful when I begin to see this. When she turns it into a personal issue, it's all becoming about her and we're getting a window into her relationship with Jesus, with her as the mother and him as the son, that happens in almost every parent-child relationship. Let me introduce it by do this way. This is a question of identity. She has wrapped herself up in her son, so when her son you know, disappoints her or disappears or does something that she doesn't approve of, like, she takes it personal as if Jesus is trying to make her feel frantic and anxious. He's not. That's a veiled accusation that's not true. It's drawing out what's happening inside of Mary, specifically her identity. This is what parenting does. Actually, if it's not parenting, it'll be something else because sooner or later, every one of us have to answer this question. Who am I? And I think Mary is answering this question the way most mothers do and many fathers do. Let me say it for Mary. Who am I? I am the mother of Jesus. In fact, as a, you know, as a historical fact, we identify 
this woman as Mary, the mother of Jesus. But that is not her identity. What? Of course it is. <laughs> That's why she's famous. That's not her identity. What is it? That's her role. And your identity, this is not in your notes, but you should write it down. Your identity is not your role. But most parents, I'm included, have one time or another, or maybe our whole life, have found our identity in our role. In fact, I didn't just do it as a parent. I've done it as a pastor. My identity is not pastor. That's my role. My identity is not husband. That's my role. And you say, you may say, well, that's no big deal. Oh, it's massive. Because when you find your identity in your role, what happens when your role changes? What happens if you guys decide to fire me one day? And I, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor of Church of Wendor. That's my identity. Oh, well, not anymore. <laughs> or what happens when I get old and cranky and you guys are tired of hearing me preach and I need to retire? You know, who am I now? Or, or when you change your job or your kids grow up, so you can't find your identity in your role because your role changes and your role is fleeting. You need to find your identity in something much deeper than your role. But the flip side is true as well. Your role is not your identity. So this happens in ministry all the time. We are so in love with the ministry that God's called us to do, that we make it our identity. And that's not our identity. It, it, it can't be. In fact, it's deadly to two people when we try to find our identity in our role. It's deadly to us because no person can carry the weight of my, maybe finding our identity. It's kind of like um, a life preserver. Uh, my, my, I, I fall overboard with my son. He's three years old and I'm drowning. So I climb on the back of my three-year-old or five-year-old or seven-year-old son and say, hold me up. I'm drowning. When you don't know your identity, you're drowning. And to climb on the back of a kid and say, you know, hold me up, we would say, that's ridiculous. you got to hold yourself up. You should be holding your kid up. But that's what you're doing when you're trying to find your identity in a child. You're trying to put a burden on them they were never meant to carry. So not only is it deadly to you, it's deadly to your kid. It is suffocating to grow up in a home where mom and dad are finding their identity in their children. And that's what's happening in home after home. Good parents. But some of you right now are like, whoa. Some of you may actually be arguing with me. You go, no, Jim, I, I don't agree with that. You know, Mary's identity is the mother of Jesus. Well, actually, it's before she was a mother. If her identity is the mother of Jesus, what happened for the first 13, 14 years of her life? Does she not have an identity? Does she not know who she is until she becomes a mother, Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus? Oh, no. So how do we find out, you know, this important answer to this question? Well, actually, the answer to the, this question, who am I, is found in Jesus' question. So the, the next verse here, when Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Oh, this is going to help us so much to get to that important answer to the question, who are you? Where is, where is your identity? So when Jesus asks this question, he's 
making a statement as well. You know, didn't you know? The answer is no, I don't know. That I had to be in my father's house. They're not even sure. What do you mean, my father's house? You may, this may surprise some of you. But this is the first time in the whole Bible. Remember, we're in the, we're in the New Testament. So this is the whole Old Testament. This is the first time in the whole Bible that a person has referred to God as my father. Did you know that? Nobody refers to God as, as my father. But this is the first of many, many times. And Jesus is giving us a clue. I had to be in my father's house. This is who I am. I, you know, this question of who is Jesus, it's found out in his relationship with his father. So if he says, this is what I'm all about, my father's house, this is what, this is, this is what defines me. This is why I'm here, duh. What do you mean, why, why are you looking for me? This is, where, this is, of course, where I belong because I belong to God. He's my father. In other words, I am his son. Now we are getting to an identity answer. That's not a role. That's, that's your identity. Jesus is the son of God. Now, Jesus' question, didn't you know, is not just a, you know, an, a, an interesting question. Mary should have known. I suppose Jesus could have said, Mary, did you know? You know he started singing to her. But, but what, how, why did I say she should have known this? Because she's the only person. Think of all the things that happened in Luke chapter 2, all the things that happened in Matthew chapter 1, all the, the stories of angels and people showing up and appearing, and, and, you know, all the stories we talk about at Christmas. Mary's the only one that God sent an angel to to say, My, this, this son is the son of the Most High. Verse, Luke chapter 1, verse 32, he will be called son of the Most High. And then three verses later, he will be called the son of God. God didn't tell Joseph that or at least it's not recorded in Scripture, didn't tell Simeon or Anna, these prophetic people, didn't tell the wise men, didn't tell the angels, um, didn't tell the, uh, the shepherds. Nobody has heard that Jesus is the Son of God at this point except for Mary, and it's been told to her twice. So didn't you know? You, you did know, but you didn't understand. How can Jesus be the Son of God? No, Jesus is my child. I'm, I'm Mary. He's no, before he was your child, he was the son of God. In fact, before he was your child, he was the sovereign Lord of the universe. Now we're getting at to the identity of Jesus. He, he hasn't even been born yet as a human being because Jesus is an identity unlike anybody else. Hear this, because sometimes people teach that you and I are all you know, we get our bodies. We've had a spirit floating around, you know, for, for years. And then when we, we get born, we have a body. That is not what the Bible teaches. It's not true, except for Jesus. Jesus has always existed in eternity past as a spirit. God is spirit. When Jesus was born as a baby, he became a, a human being. Now he has a body. The Bible says that God is spirit. God doesn't have a body. God became man in Jesus. And now Jesus has a body but he has existed always as the Son of God, the Sovereign Lord from eternity past. So we're, we're answering the, asking the question, who is Jesus? Now we're starting to all find out who is God. Because you know, we can say that, 
that Jesus is God, Jesus is the sovereign Lord, but we can't flip that and say that God is Jesus because God is more than the second person of the Trinity, right? God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is triune. God the Father, first person of the Trinity. God the Son, second person of the Trinity, Jesus. God the Holy Spirit. He's, he's, we serve a, we love a Trinitarian God. So we're asking, we start off asking the question, who am I? Then we get to who is Jesus. Well, let's answer the who is God because in Jesus' day, everybody knew he was creator. Everybody knew that God is sovereign Lord. Everybody knew he's holy. I mean, this is what we've taught in the Bible. That's clear. I know my Bible. God is sovereign. He's holy. He's the very first thing we learn, very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. So we know who God is until we get to Jesus who says he's also Father. This, this question, this answer, he's my, he's my Father. So we're learning something about God while Jesus is helping us see his identity. We're also learning something about who God is, that God is Father. And now, so those of you who are like, you know, freaking out about the fact that I skipped over some points, I didn't. Now that we know who God is, and now that we know who Jesus is, now we're ready to find out who we are. This is what Mary needed to discover. This is what you need to discover. And this is what I have discovered. And this is what we must help our children to discover that. Who am I is not answered by a role or a job or a position. Who I am, who you are, is answered by looking at what the creator who created you says about you. And he says, you are loved. Oh, this, someone said amen. Thank you. This is the most important thing about you. And you are you were loved before you actually were born. God loved you in your mother's womb. He loved you when your body was being formed because you were a you. You were a person in your mother's womb and God loved you. And that is the most important thing about you. You were made in the image of God and God loves you. You are a child of God. That's who you are. And that's who Jesus is. He, he's the son of God. He, he, before he's done anything, this is who he is. And he's loved. So the father loves the son and the son loves the father and the Father loves the Holy Spirit. And there's this perichoretic dance between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna see that in a couple of weeks when we look at Jesus' baptism. And the Father splits open the heavens and says, this is my answer, my what? My Son, whom I love. We're getting a window into the Trinity there was Jesus is being baptized. And this is who you are. You're chosen. If you're a Christian, you're redeemed. These things define you because we don't discover our true identity until we know who we are in God. Or as I've written here, your true identity can never be fully known apart from God. That's why we had to stop answering this for a second and answer these questions. Now, you can make some progress in this, but more than likely, you're going to go down wrong streets. There's a way that seems right to a person, but the end is death. It's their dead ends. 
Some people spend their whole life trying to answer this question while ignoring these two questions. You will never find your true identity. Now, this is why it's so important that parents get clear about this. Because if you're a parent, that means you have a child. And your job as a parent is to help your child know who they are. So who is your child? Do you know? See, your child is not your son or your daughter. They actually belong to God and he's loaned them to you. This, we call this stewardship. In our second service today, we're gonna dedicate some children because there are some parents that wanna say, I recognize this child belongs to God because he made them. He created them and he's given them to me as a parent. That's what parenting is, it's stewardship. God is entrusting to us what belongs to him. Never forget this. So do you know who your child is? <laughs> I remember when I was um, a young father, I remember, I, some of you know, I wanted to go to school to be a basketball coach. And uh, I love basketball. I can't play anymore. But I, uh, I love the sport. And so uh, I wanted to coach it. And God says, no, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to coach people. Okay, whatever. Uh, I want to coach basketball players. And so I uh, began to recognize that my son had a lot of athletic talent. Not only did he have talent, but he had big hands and he had a, kind of a basketball body. And, and uh, I taught him how to shoot. And oh, what a sweet story. I mean, his, he was shooting three-pointers from a young age. And I'm like, oh, my, my son's going to be a killer basketball player. Thank you, God. So I began to pour into my son because I'm going to coach him. So I coached his team. Next thing you know, I'm yelling at my son and I'm all amped up and Andrea's like, what, why are you yelling at him? I'm like, well, because he's, he's just goofing around out there. And she's like, he's a kid. I'm like, no, he's a basketball player. You know, and I'm, we're wrestling with his identity. And, I'm, and, and for years, I was blind as I yelled at my son to try to draw out the best in him because God gifted him to be a basketball player. And he needed to maximize that. And he's out there being a kid and I want him to... You'll be a player. I want him to play to win. You don't play the game for fun. You play to win. See, I'm me pounding. I'm, I'm a coach. See, this is terrible. For a father to pound the truth into his son, you can't be a kid and play. You need to be a player, a basketball player. You, know, uh, you need to live up to your potential. And I didn't realize what I was trying to do was find my identity in my son. That was damaging. I damaged my son. You damage your children when you try to find your identity in them. I mean, let them be kids. That's what they are. So do you know that your kid is loved by God, that they are a child of God, that they've been chosen? And are your kids redeemed yet? These are the most important things about you. But not only is it important for you to know who your child is, do your children know who they are? That's your job. That's why you're a parent. To help these children of God discover God, who God is, who Jesus is. And so we're back now to, G to, Mary's, or to Jesus' question. Didn't you know? No, Jesus Mary says, I didn't know. I don't even know who you are yet as a 12-year-old. 
well, you've been told he's the son of God, but she didn't get it. This is why I'm preaching this morning. Some of you already raised your kids like me. Well, now you get to be grandparents, or you can talk to your kids about this. But some of you are young parents. You still have the chance to help your kids see who they are. That's your job as parents. And this question that Jesus asked, didn't you, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, helps us move now from this very important identity question to the second question. I told you well, there's three we're going to look at. The second question When Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He's not only talking about his identity, he's also talking about his purpose. This is the second question all of us need to learn. And again, this is not in your notes, but write this down. Our purpose is not our identity, but it's tied to our identity. We'll learn this by watching Jesus, because he's the one that says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? What was Jesus' purpose? And you can ask this question and get all kinds of answers. Let's just stay close here to the text here. When Jesus asked the question, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? This language of my father's house is not just language of identity, but it also helps us see why Jesus came to planet Earth. Remember how I said that nobody in the Bible referred to Jesus as, I'm sorry, referred to God as my father until Jesus came. Jesus came to reveal who God is, specifically for the Jews, because they already knew he was creator. They already knew he was sovereign. They already knew he was holy, but they did not grasp the personal, you know, he's the father of Israel, but Jesus is making this personal. He used the word Abba, which means daddy in Hebrew. And some people thought he was being disrespectful, but Jesus is just revealing, this is what God's like. So you, you don't know him. And this is true for some of you who have good theology about the character of God as God who's holy, as a God who's just, as a God who's righteous, who's sovereign, who's creator, all these important doctrinal truths. But if you take out God as father, you cut out the heart of who God is. And until you have a relationship with God as father, when you move beyond the transcendent, creator, sovereign God. All all important things. But you need to move beyond that into the intimacy of Father before you begin to really understand who you are and why you're here. And there are way too many Christians, way too many churches full of Christians who have decent theology about some of those foundational truths about God, but they miss out on God as Father. And so Jesus came to reveal God is our Father. And that's why he teaches the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven. And if you watch Jesus through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over and over and over and over again, thousand times, he will say, God is my Father. He'll talk to God as Father. People used to blow people's minds, but this is where Jesus lived in the intimacy of his father's house. And now I'm not referring to the temple as much as I'm referring to the relationship. And friends, if you're not living in the intimacy of living in the father's house, if you're not living in that intimacy, you're missing so much. Now, Jesus came to reveal us, to us, that God is father. But you also know, he says later on in Luke, that I came to seek and save the lost. So this is a second, you might say, purpose of Jesus to reveal who God is, but also to provide salvation 
and this is one of the themes of our church here, that you need to know God. I keep saying a thousand times I've said it. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Is God your father? He was for Jesus. And so Jesus now in that established relationship can now be our savior, but he's not done with that either. Now he's, he said, I'm here to make disciples. So I, and, and maybe the, the biggest thing that Jesus was trying to do in making disciples was to reveal to his disciples who God is. This idea that God is the Father. So now that we know what Jesus' purpose is, what, what's our purpose? Well, you could wrap up these three statements about Jesus' purpose with one three-word phrase. What's Jesus doing when he reveals God as Father? What's Jesus doing when he provides salvation? What's he doing when he makes disciples? When he says to his disciples, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Jesus, the three-word phrase that describes this is Jesus is there to glorify God, and that's my purpose as well, and yours. We are here, like Jesus, to glorify God, but we're not here to provide salvation. We're here to glorify God by becoming more like Jesus. That is why you're here. And so all of your roles that we've talked about, parent, husband, wife, worker, um, you know, son of your mother and father, all your different roles in life are all found in your identity and your purpose as you begin to discover who you are and then begin to discover why you're here, the purpose question, and now you're ready for the third question. Now we talked about this over and again already, but what is your role? And let me say it to you again. Our role is where we live out our identity. Identity must come first, not our role. And you won't really find your purpose until you find your identity. So let this sink in. Our role is where we live out our identity and where we live out our purpose. So let's go back to the text. What was Jesus's role where he's living out his identity and his purpose? Well, we know his role because this whole chapter is about Jesus as the child of Joseph and Mary. That's his role. That's not his identity. Again, I, we need to keep correcting this idea that my identity is found in my role. No, my identity is found in my relationship with God. And if I don't find it in, watch, watch what I'm doing here. You know, you can't see what I'm doing if I'm listening on the radio. But, but if your identity is not found here, you will try to find it here. In other words, if you don't find your identity in a vertical relationship with God, you will try to find it in a horizontal relationship with your children, your spouse, your job, your hobby. You'll try to find it horizontally, and you'll never find your identity or your purpose if you're only looking horizontally. It comes from a vertical relationship with God. So Jesus knows who he is. When he asks the question, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house what father was he talking about? Joseph? No. My father's house is a reference to God the Father. Jesus is not dissing Joseph and Mary. He's just saying to them, 
you want me to live with my identity as being your son, but that's not my identity. That's my role. 12 years old, Jesus knew this. So he goes to the temple because that's where he belongs. That's what he's trying to say. You sh- as soon as you realized that I wasn't home, you know, with you, you should have gone right to the temple because that's where I belong, with my father, in my father's house. That's where you belong too. I don't mean a temple. I don't mean a house built by hands. I mean in a relationship with God where you're living out of that security. See, Mary is, at, is anxious and Joseph is anxious. There's no peace in their life. They're frantic because they don't have their identity figured out yet. They're still trying to find it in Jesus, and they don't know who Jesus' identity is. So this whole verse here doesn't make any sense to them. You shouldn't be doing this, but Jesus goes, this is exactly what I should be doing. This is my purpose, and this is my role. I'm a, what's, what's, what's happening when he's sitting among the teachers listening to and asking questions? What's happening? He's learning. The 12-year-old Jesus is learning. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's so powerful. This is 12-year-old Jesus. His role is child of Joseph and Mary and learner. And there is something that's about to flip here that will help us answer the first question, one of the first questions we asked at the beginning of the sermon. When Jesus says, why were you looking for me? You should have known I would be in my father's house. You should have known that I'm hungry to know more. You should have known I'm a learner. You should have known that I belong with God. Didn't you know? And of course, the answer we said is they didn't know. So do you recognize now that Jesus is not using this question as a disrespectful statement? It's not a a sarcastic, didn't you know? He's not being disobedient. He's not being irresponsible. He's not being evasive or insensitive. Jesus is in a transition at this age right now where he's transitioning from being a learner to being a teacher. Watch this. And he's using questions the way he does for the rest of his life and ministry as teaching tools, right? You've seen this. Jesus doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know. (laughs) Jesus uses questions to teach And who is he teaching right now? This is what's so bizarre. He's teaching mom and dad. And this is why it's so crazy. You're our son. We're your teacher. No, the tables are flipping, and I'm beginning to step into my role as teacher, and you don't understand because you don't understand who I am yet. Because Jesus is not even Savior yet. He's still child of Joseph and Mary, learner and teacher. His role of Savior is coming. But Joseph and Mary are confused. They don't understand these things because they don't see the transition. But that's what's happening. When Jesus asks, didn't you know, why were you searching for me? He's teaching them very subtly, I have an intimate relationship with God the Father that is so much more than you can possibly know because mom and dad, 
Before I was your son, I was the son of God. Mom and dad, before I became a boy with human body, I lived forever in heaven. I existed forever. I am the sovereign Lord. And that's why Jesus can ask any question he wants of you or Mary or Joseph, not disrespectfully, but I am God. And this, this, is, like, this is why it's so confusing. They're, they're just, we don't understand you, Jesus. That, that's okay. Very few people understood Jesus. Even today, very few people understand Jesus. And that's why we're confused about who he was and then confused about who we are. And we get our role and our identity mixed up. Okay, so now that we know who Jesus is, what's my role? Well, it's in relationship to Jesus. It's in relationship to God. So I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's, that's my role. I'm to follow Jesus. I'm, this is clear. I'm to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to become more like Jesus. That's my role. But I'm not just a disciple. I also, and some of you also, happen to be parents. But that parenting role is second to, to the discipling role. In fact, they're, they're together. As a parent, my job, my role is to nurture God-centeredness. We've talked about this. And we've explained it. And I, 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 if you've been here the last you know, month, I, I talked about how Joseph and Mary, as parents, were following a parenting plan that God gave to train Israel. And I'm relaxed. I'm not going to preach this. I preached four sermons on it. So if you want to understand what I mean by all this, go back to previous sermons. But what I want you to see is what I've highlighted, that God used this plan that you can see unfolded in Scripture, and you can hear in my previous sermons, to train Israel. Now watch this. And we can use the same plan to train our kids in the exact same things. And, you know, the, all these things can be transferred from the way that, that God trained his children, Israel, except for this last one, because we're not sure we're, we're festivals. So I've, when I preached about this, I said that this, these festivals, the Passover festival, all the seven festivals are actually parties. So, again, you can go back and get more information about this or, and or, you can look sometime this week. I don't know whether it's going to be later this week or maybe even if later Sunday. We're going to unveil on our website, we're going to unveil a parenting resource tool to help you as parents and grandparents do all these things that God gave Joseph and Mary to do so that you can raise God-centered children. So you can be clear about what's the role of me as a parent what am I supposed to do for my kids? What, what am I supposed to be training them? I'm supposed to train my kid to be God-centered. This is the purpose of life, to live your life you know, centered around God and to help your kids to be conscious of who God is and then eventually to train your kids to make God the center of their life because you're not just a parent, you're also a discipler and you're leading. Who are the most important disciples that you must train if you're a parent? Who are they? You need to say this louder. Who are, this is not a rhetorical question, who are the most important disciples that you must train if you're a parent? Your children. Your children that God entrusted to you to teach them how to live God-centered lives and to lead those little people in the adventure of becoming more and more like Christ. These three questions, they're huge. Everybody's asking them, whether they're verbally processing them or whether they're subconsciously, everybody's asking these questions. 
But most of us start here or maybe here and then try to figure out who we are as we live out our purpose and role. You've got to start with identity here. Because remember, our role is where we live out our identity and our purpose. So this is, I'm going to highlight this. This is where we must start. And if you don't start with who am I and find that answer in a relationship with God, you will never find your purpose. You will be frustrated in your roles and you will never have the peace that you long for. Peace, purpose, these are all found in who you are in God, your identity. So write this down. Knowing who I am, my identity, knowing who I am in God brings that peace. It's not your kid's fault that you don't have any peace. It's you don't know who you are yet. It brings that peace, that purpose. And what would, what would I put here? And it frees you of all oh, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. When you know who you are, there's a freedom. You're not bound by trying to figure out who I am. You're not bound by what your kids think about you. Because, you know, as kids grow up, they think all kinds of different things about mom and dad. You're not bound what other people think about you. When your kids don't act the way you want them to act in public or they don't act the way you want them to on the basketball court or in the music um, auditorium, when they don't do what you want, you're okay. You're at peace. You got purpose because you know your identity. And now you're free to let your kids be kids and not to control them and to uh, to put the screws to them because you don't know who you are and you're bound up. No, when you know your identity, there is a freedom in your life and you begin to discover, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not even who I think I am. I am who God says I am. And each one of us need to get to that point where we recognize I am who God says I am. And he says, you're loved. You're chosen. You're my child. That's who you are. Find your security there. Find your purpose there. Find your role in your identity as a child of God. Amen? Because this is what God wants for you. And it's why he gave you kids so you could help them discover they are loved by God. They are children of God. And Jesus has come to redeem them because they have been chosen. Let's pray. Oh God, let these truths that the Bible teaches us sink down into our hearts so that we begin to dwell in the Father's house, knowing it's not a building. It's not a, it's not a place made by human hands. The Father's house is the relationship of intimacy with you where we are fully known and fully loved. And Lord, there are people here who have no peace. There are people who are so frustrated, so, but some of them angry, some of them hurt, some of them confused. Today, would you help them see they have a place in the Father's house? Today, would you help them see they belong to you? God, draw all of us into the Father's house where we discover who we are. We're made in your image. And we're 
loved. We are children. You've chosen us. You've redeemed us. You've called us to yourself. For we pray this in Jesus' holy name.